Drowning in status updates and lost in endless emails? Break free with ClickUp.com, the one app to replace them all. Imagine a world where your team collaborates effortlessly in one shared space. No more chaos, just ClickUp. Your projects, tasks, and communication unified at last. Transform how you work with customizable views, seamless integration, and real-time updates. ClickUp is your shortcut to more productive days and happier teams. Join the millions of productive teams already streamlining their workflow. Visit ClickUp.com to get started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. I'm here to tell you about Bolin Branch Sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch Sheets get softer with every wash. They're made from the rarest organic cotton and designed to get even softer over time. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus 15% off your first order with code ODYSSEY. So head to bollandbranch.com today. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Paint State Speaker Series rolls on. It's a good day because Joel Clad is wearing his Rose Bowl hat. And if I wasn't already in the mood for the season, I'm in the mood now, sir. How, do you ever take that off? Why would you ever take that off? <laughs> you know, I it, it's my it's my favorite hat, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, if 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 I'm gonna be on anywhere or I'm gonna represent my favorite game my favorite game it's the rose bowl for so for sure i'm always going to represent and we got michigan alabama out there if time allows we'll get to that i wanted to start off with a lot of what's buzzing in college football right now and it uh, it reminds me of like one of my biggest disappointments when i was a child i loved college football like i do now when i was a child mm-hmm. though i assumed ignorantly as it turns out that everyone who ran college football was a genius and I didn't know their names and I didn't, I didn't see their faces, but I didn't need to. I just, it's kind of like when you're flying, you don't meet the pilot, but you trust someone who is above and beyond your intellectual capability is running the operation. Thankfully in the airline industry, we're right about that. College football, not so much. And uh, I cannot tell you how much it repeatedly crushes me when I see just horrific decision-making happen, which leads to things like our calendar being a mess right now, and you realize the whole time it was an illusion, and the whole time there actually is no door to the office of college football that you can go knock on, like the NFL or NBA, and really no one's in charge with looking out for the singular interest of college football. Everyone's kind of out for themselves, and I I was listening to some of your stuff this morning, so we'll go broad brush with this, and then I want to zoom in on some stuff, but just overall... You love the sport. I love the sport. Having put that aside, thoughts on where things are right now? Um, I think two things can be true at once. I think that the sport can be as good as it's ever been in its history, as popular as it's ever been. The players are better than they've they've ever been. And at the same time, um, structurally speaking, the sport is as broken as it's ever been, you know, and, and we need to fix things in, in a, in a big way. The problem with fixing things, um, is that college football has no leadership, you know, to your point about, you think that these people, and I don't know if it's that the people aren't smart, it's just that no one's actually in charge. And so it's like, it's like being, being a fan of college football right now is like sitting in, in seat 32 E on an, uh, on, you know, on a plane flight and you realize that there's like five pilots up there all arguing and none of them actually have control. And you're like, wait, is, is that actually like, is that really what's going on? Yes. And they all have ulterior motives. They all want to fly the plane to a different location, land it in a different way. And it it doesn't work that way. You know, we need a, a captain, so to speak. And every great organization, every great entity has terrific leadership and leadership has to be boiled down to some point. And so I think you uh, have have argued for this. I've argued for this. And a lot of people have talked about this. 
some sort of of specific, whether it's governing body, person, commissioner, whatever it is, someone needs to start looking out for the whole and not just their own silo. Um, right now, we have a lot of people that look out for their own silo, their own conference, their own interests, and that's their job and that's what they should do. But no one really is is pushing the sport as a whole forward. And, and because of that, we have five captains trying to fly a plane into five different locations. So as you and I are speaking, Chip Kelly and the Bruins just won their bowl game, and he just mm-hmm. had this moment that I thought was a really important moment. He didn't necessarily say things in that pregame press conference that hadn't been said before. It's just some guys articulate it better. Some guys, when they speak it, it really takes hold and it catches some traction for whatever reason. And Chip Kelly talked about a lot of ideas he's had. He talked about centralized leadership, talked about overhauling entire scheduling formats, entire athletic department structures. And I loved a lot of it. I think a lot of people loved it just because normally we don't hear coherent, good ideas spoken from a position of authority, uh, including within the scope of college football. But I think it's a moment uh, because I don't know I don't know that that's just going away. Like, I don't know when Chip Kelly said what he said that it's just going to disappear in the wind. Number one, I hope more coaches do what he did. And number two, I think that revenue sharing aspect, Harbaugh's brought it up, he's brought it up, would be a gateway to unlocking a lot of the current knots, so to speak, that we have in our sport because you don't just enter into revenue sharing deals without collective bargaining. And I understand that that's a very complex sentence, but whatever. It's a complex sport. Let's find a way to get there. But man, like this piece of paper right now, if I sign my name on a scholarship to play at Colorado or Alabama or UCLA, it doesn't really mean at all what a pro contract means. There is no term. You and I have contracts with our companies and there's, there's the big capitalized word term. And it means up until this point, you're not free to really do whatever you want to. Now that's because we're employed and they're not employed, but man, you enter into revenue sharing and you enter into a world where all of a sudden there are terms, a lot of the problems that coaches complain about behind the scenes right now are kind of cleaned up, are they not? Well, they have the ability to be cleaned up, you know, and and you have, as I think you put it perfectly, it's a gateway towards, you know, uh, cleaning the structure of the relationship with the player. And so let me touch on what you brought up first, the the Chip Kelly comments. I I really loved Chip's comments. I've talked with Chip, you know, I had him on, on my show, Josh, and we talked through some of these issues and, and he has always been a forward thinker. He, he had this amazing line when when I talked to him over the summer that there's no crying on the yacht (laughs) and, you know, basically, um, saying in a better, more, more articulate way, what I was trying to say in the, in the previous answer that the sport is great right now. And so let's stop crying about it and let's let's get to the work of, of fixing it. And then the fixing it part is a, a lot of what he brought up. I'll, I'll talk, take specifically kind of a, a couple of things that I really loved about his his whole answer. And I'm sure if you're listening to this show, you've heard it. The one thing that not not one thing, one of the things that I really loved is this idea of separation. This idea that football needs to be separate. Now, you know, he had some specificity involved, but as it relates to its conference affiliation, its governance structure, its model overall, it really does need to be separated from the rest of of intercollegiate athletics because there is no organization that can make rules effectively for the participants of softball at UCLA and football at Alabama. Those are two totally distinctly different entities and face they face different pressures they have different monetary structures so we should probably govern them differently and the fact that we've tried to we've tried to lump all of this in together and by the way that's different sports you could say this just about different levels of football there's no reason why we should have the same governing structure or rules structure over Alabama and Ohio State that we do over Albany and South Dakota State it's just it's it's wild so this idea of separation, I'm, I'm very much in, in favor of. What it exactly looks like, I'm, I'm not quite sure. But he also brought up the scheduling aspect, and you touched on that. Once you separate and you start to you look at w- what the sport actually needs 
and and what could be done as far as the growth of the sport, you look at schedules. There is zero reason why we should have athletic directors in dark rooms in, in Vegas at the NFF Foundation meeting scheduling out 10 years in advance. I mean, you look at what it gave us this year. Because of our broken scheduling model, Michigan and Georgia played to the the two basically weakest schedules of any best you know quality team in the country, because games had fallen off. Michigan to their own accord, and and uh, Georgia and Oklahoma because of the the SEC's um, expansion with Oklahoma. None of it made sense. Meanwhile, just because it was one year in advance, Texas and Alabama did play, and Oklahoma and Georgia did not play. So. It, again, like the scheduling aspect of how you could schedule non-conference games is is something I'm very much in favor for. And then you touched on the revenue share, and you're right. This is a gateway. The revenue share and the idea of the revenue share is the way to not only allow the par- uh, players to participate in the upside of the sport, which is vast, but it also allows for the opportunity to come to the table and put guardrails on the sport so you can protect both the programs and their fan bases and the players themselves. Um, and, and that's, by the way, you can get into a real rabbit hole once you talk, talk about protecting players. Because, and I brought this up on, on my show, they're talking about unlimited transfers. Mm-hmm. Now, while that might be legally sound, you know, so from some DA that wants to take it and, and argue it in front of the court, it's not beneficial to the participants for a lot of different reasons. So, you know, this this idea that we just need to swing the pendulum completely into this idea of autonomy and agency for the player is, again, sound, but there are flaws. So what do you need? Structure. And you need those guardrails through a potential CBA or or revenue structure or collectively bargained agreement. You said something there, uh, the way you phrased it, I don't think needs to be overshadowed. You talked about how in a revenue sharing model, and this is specifically for people who may be turned off by this, just open your mind for a second and think about it. In a revenue sharing model where players are getting a cut of basically media rights and the revenue that the conference makes, it incentivizes, for lack of a better term, player involvement to grow the game. And that's not necessarily something players think about right now. And that's not necessarily something that an entire recruiting class comes into the collegiate realm thinking about is how do we grow this game? Right now it's how do I get three and out and maybe make it to the NFL, which there's nothing wrong with and guys would still think that way. But then all of a sudden, if you're further incentivized that if if you play in a way, if you conduct yourself in a way that scales the sports seven and a half percent viewership more so than when you came in the door, it means more money in your pocket. That's a new day. And then, Joel, even if you want to be selfish from the conference standpoint, the other aspect of that is even if you are the most money hungry entity on the face of the planet, no one's really turned off by it so much anymore because the more money you make means the more money that is distributed to the players. And so it, it doesn't even make you look bad anymore. You're still in the pursuit of the same thing. I, I ran these numbers last night, by the way. I, I have no clue what the number would arrive at. Let's just say, for lack of present-day argument, uh, the revenue share was like $50,000 per scholarship player on every team in the SEC. That sounds like so much money, and yet it comes out to $4.25 million per team. That's half of right. what the coaches make right now. It's That's sixty. Exactly right. It's sixty-eight million if you paid that to every scholarship player in the entire conference of sixteen teams, and they're making three hundred mil per year on their new TV contract. So That's whether right. the money's there is not the issue. Whether you may be turned off by it because you were cryogenically frozen thirty years ago and you just woke up, that may be a question. But ask yourself if you are of the crowd that's turned off by that idea. Does the alternative appeal to you anymore? Because the alternative is is something like you just talked about. Dude, you're headed towards a world, it's going to happen if nothing changes, where you have unlimited transfers. And, mm-hmm. and you cannot count on 18-year-olds to know that that's not in their best interest. And even that's if they right. do know it, you know as well as I do. It's not players who are banging this drum right now. It's people dressed up in $4,000 Armani suits in courtrooms every Monday morning who are fighting for the player's best interest, and really they have self-preservation in mind. So even if you are turned off by it, I, I think that there needs to be some mind opening a little bit to what the alternatives are here is all I'm saying. 
Yeah, the 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 idea that an an unlimited transfer structure would be good for a player is 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 really off. You know, I can think of reasons. You know, just like quickly, one is you can't make quality decisions about where you're going to go based on incomplete information. Right. And and that's the definition of incomplete information because you have no idea what rosters are going to look like across the country. Um, so so that's number one. Then you just have the development side of things. And that has, by the way, all different prongs, including your personal development, your academic development, and your development as a player. Now, all of those are going to be hindered if all of a sudden you have unlimited transfer. Obviously, the personal growth... It's just like lifting weights, right? You've got to do something difficult in order to strain your muscles so that they grow so that then you can do those things easier. It's the same thing in 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 your person that anybody that has grown up and is, you know, an adult now knows that the the most personal growth that they ever had was when they went through something difficult. You've got academic issues because how are you going to graduate if you're transferring every year? That's just it's virtually impossible. And then you've got the player growth and and this is where I'm concerned for players because they will start to be treated as commodities where what is what incentivizes a coach to recruit a player, get a player, realize that player maybe isn't what they thought they were. What incentivizes the coach to pour into that player and develop him into something that he is not? I don't think that there is an incentive. Why? Because you can just go get a new player. Yep. And that's not good for, for players either. Um, and, and then I would say the the last thing is, is and you touched on this earlier in, in a question, it's not reality. How are you teaching th these young men about what the rest of their life is going to look like if they think that they can just leave anytime? I can't. You can't. Nobody can. Nobody can. So, like, I, I failed to see how that would be beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. Would be legal, not beneficial. Completely valid argument and completely valid conversation that has to be had. So, shift gears for a second. I thought back in August when the announcements started to come out about who was broadcasting which game, which games were going to get the big preseason push, you guys over at Fox – made a very calculated decision. And that decision was to go all in early in the season on Dion in Colorado. And also from a marketing perspective, a lot of the Fox oxygen was spent on promoting Colorado TCU. And then there was Colorado, Nebraska. And I remember I was, I was talking to Jesse in, in like a room next to this room. I said, dude, that's bold. Because if they get this thing to thread the needle, it's going to be like a bonanza for them. And it did. TCU wins that first game by 45. There's egg all over the face of whoever made that decision. You were in the booth for both of those games. So walk me through what that was like when that sort of like hype hurricane hit land and they go in and they beat TCU. And then the next week they have, I believe it was the Nebraska game. And like yep. all of a sudden you're doing the biggest numbers in the sport and it's Colorado football. You played at Colorado. So like it's a, it's a merging of all your possible worlds. What was that like? Um, it, it was, uh, it was, it was wild, you know, and so I'm involved to some degree, um, in the off season and I'll start actually pretty soon here. Not, not, um, in, in too long looking at next year and looking at the schedule and starting to devise, you know, what I think and we think, um, it could possibly look like. And one thing that I, I was bullish on is that being around Colorado, knowing, you know, talking with Dion and knowing what they were going to bring in, I thought two things. I thought that their skill would be way better than people realized and that their depth would be way worse than people realized. And so my, my inclination was we were going to have a really poor opening few weeks. We just didn't have the selections because of non-league, you know, matchups. The Big Ten didn't have many non-league games that we could select. You know, same in the Big 12 and and with the noon game, we don't really do West Coast kickoffs, so it's not like you can ask teams to to kick at 9 a.m. on the West Coast. And and I thought to myself, you, you know, with with the energy and the oxygen in the room that Dion was commanding, 
just because of his hiring and his press conference and the way people were covering his recruiting in the transfer portal, we all thought to ourselves like, hey, what if we got out ahead of this? We don't have a, a ton of great selections anyways. What if we just went all in on, on Dion and, and took him early, early? I knew that the Nebraska game would be a good one because it's a home opener. That place was charged up to have Dion, and Nebraska was a team that I thought, like, you know, maybe Colorado can beat them, in particular if they don't suffer any injuries early. The TCU one was the lightning in a bottle. Yeah. To be very fair, as, you know, I'm always rooting for our schedule and things like that. I thought to myself, boy, if Colorado could just be in this game in the third quarter and provide some hope for the fan base and maybe even the nation that's trying to support Dion, like then we've got something and we can still get something for that Nebraska game. Um, and then the game starts to unfold and the first series unfolds and the second series unfolds. And I'm watching Travis Hunter out there and I could feel it in the booth. I was like, okay, number one, there are way more people watching right now than <laughs> I think we, we felt like they were going to, I can just tell based on, Who's texting me? Yep. You know, based on how long ago they've texted me, I'm like, okay, there's there's the six million dollar or not million dollars, six million people mark, the seven million people mark, and y you could feel that. Uh, and then when they won, I mean, I was just like, oh my gosh! And then he's doing the interview afterwards, and I'm thinking about what it's going to be like at the home opener. It turns out to be the case, and it was actually after the TCU game that we immediately put our heads together and we were like, okay, look at this. Now they can very assuredly beat Nebraska, which they did. They should beat Colorado State, which they almost didn't. And I, and, and I thought to myself, guys, they're not going to beat Oregon, but we should probably look at USC as well. And, and that's where we kind of extended the runway for Colorado and, and went out to USC. When that started happening, we coined a phrase on our show, we called it the Dion Tax. They're mm -hmm. also suffering the swift tax in the NFL right now. And that's when this phenomenon happens that it bubbles over the usual pot of college football or the NFL, and it bleeds into the mainstream of the pop culture. And it attracts people. It provides an off-ramp to your sport that otherwise didn't exist on the interstate. And as a result, and it's a good problem to have, all of a sudden a bunch of new people show up. And the new mm -hmm. people are not quiet. The new people want to have their voice heard as well. And so it yes. went from... Let's be cautiously optimistic to, oh, wow, this is a great early season story to all of a sudden you and I are talking at a normal tone. And then five people walk in the room speaking in a loudspeaker saying, this team can win the Pac-12. This may be the best team in the country. And uh, that was the Dion tax. And you get shouted down by them. Of course, they disappear after the Oregon game. But it's, it's crazy because you feel like the college football season goes by in a blur. But the yeah. Colorado season felt five years to me. That period feels so long ago, and then they dipped, and now you come back out, and you're looking at early signing day coming up, and the portal, which we'll talk about in its own right in a second. Um, what kind of lessons do you feel like, if any, were learned out there about what that staff went through year one? Oh, man. <clears throat> so many. One, Dion doesn't shy away from, from the tidal wave of attention. Just... He's gonna he's gonna get on a surfboard and be right at the top, whether he feels like he can ride the wave or not. He's gonna be right up there, you know, and and doing everything he can to perpetuate that that narrative. And then the other thing I learned is that, and and this is not my own thought. You know, I've heard other people say our country, you know, they like no one in our country likes tens. And we all want twos to be better. What we really want is everyone to be fives. Mm. So we tear down things that are that are awesome. We build up things that shouldn't be built up. And we want everyone to be fives. And in a lot of ways, Dion represents that because I, I call it the Dion effect, which is everything that he does, if you love him, you think it's the greatest thing that's ever happened, the most innovative thing that's ever happened. And if you hate him, He's destroying the sport. So it's like this wild gap between the opinions of, of, of what you get with Dion and, and Colorado. And then you try to take a step back. And I think you and I both try to do this. And, and listen, it's harder for, for me, obviously, just because I, I went there. But you take a step back and you, you try to think to yourself, like, what was their season? Josh, I would categorize it 
as a wild success. I agree. They hit the over. They're tangibly better. They are 100% in the, I don't know what you want to call it, conversation in college football. Maybe not from a success standpoint, but certainly from a narrative standpoint. And with games that they should have won against Stanford, were in against Oregon State and Arizona, you can see with a couple of additions in particular up front, that's a team that can win seven games next year. I don't think that's outlandish. And when you look at where they were before he was hired, 1-11, losing by an average of 29 points, like th that's a wild success. It's the recalibration of expectation problem that exists. Yeah, For instance, yeah. we come into the season, you got, you got a crowd out there that would look at what was the total, like three and a half, and they would go, oh, under, yeah. under, they're going to be a disaster. Well, okay. Then you realize they've already got three wins before the first month of the season is out, and all of a sudden that same crowd, instead of just saying, I was wrong, they recalibrate and they say, well, they won't make a bowl game. Well, that wasn't the standard that you yourself right. set in the preseason. Right. The path to success at Colorado is not the path that Georgia takes. There are different rungs on the Colorado ladder. So in August, for example, I sat on my show and I said, if they can steal a couple of wins and generate a ton of national buzz, he's won in year one. You don't have to generate buzz at Georgia. You do at Colorado. And now you're, you're landing five-star offensive tackles, not out of the portal, but out of high school because, well, at least in part due to that, yes, that's a win. You got to judge this stuff a little bit different. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast the national sales event is on at your toyota dealer making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, I want to get a couple more in here with you. Right now, it's 2020, about to be 2024, and we've got the 2023 playoffs. It's the last of the four-team field. We're going to have two years coming up where we have a format that we're settled on, and it's a 12-team, and then beyond that, there's the edge of a cliff. And I'm not mm -hmm. quite sure the college football public has woken up to this yet, 
behind the scenes in the TV world, that's all they're talking about because there's a mm-hmm. lot of shuffling to try and figure this out. Um, I guess the way to ask it is when we get to the expanded era and we also overlap that with the first couple of years of mega SEC, mega Big Ten and everyone else, do you get the sense that you know the results on the field and the disparity between just overall calibers of conferences will be so severe that it will drive the SEC and Big Ten away from agreeing to anything that includes auto bids, anything that includes auto inclusion for other conferences, <clears throat> and hashing out the future playoff may be a whole lot more difficult than it seems right now, which is just let's mm-hmm. copy and paste it, little bell here, whistle there. I, like, I think there's a legit fight coming in the very near future about that thing. It's a great point. A um, couple of things. Number one is, let me go back to kind of your, your beginning of your, your question and this, this idea that I don't think the college football public understands the precarious situation that we're in. Um, there's no television deal for the first round next year. Nope. Y- you know, um, and there is a genuine, I would say close to, if not full-fledged panic amongst the people that are trying to negotiate that deal from the college football playoff side about the fact that they were asking for X dollars and they are not getting mm-hmm. them. And, and so w- what it looks like from a television perspective just next year, less than 12 months from now, is a total mystery, which is wild. So they thought that they would have that wrapped up by now and that they could start to think about what it's going to look like in 26 and beyond, which is what you're talking about. So and then well, let's get to the, the next part of your question, which is this, this idea of the next two years, the SEC and the Big Ten, um, um, understanding the landscape, looking at the landscape, and then and thinking to themselves, like, why are we going to give concessions? Okay. So the first would be they're going to have to give at least some concessions. Now, whether that's a four total auto bids or five, I think it's going to be four. They're going to have to do that just to get past DOJ scrutiny or else this thing's going to get shut down from a legal perspective. Those conferences will fight and talk about antitrust laws. They'll talk about lack of, uh, of, of true competitiveness and they would get shut down. So I think that they're either going to have to just say like, we're going to no auto bids or at least enough auto bids where they include other conferences other than themselves. What I think that they could probably end up doing is incorporating at least one more auto bid. There's four for champions, and then there's two more for next best SEC and Big Ten team. Now, you would assume that those teams would get in anyways, but you know how people are in in this industry. They love these guarantees, and they want those guarantees for their silo. So I could see maybe that falling into place. But the, the last part of this is that we already see and hear the narrative building. I think the SEC and their coaches do it better than anybody about how difficult their schedules are and 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 how difficult their year is. And so they like to plant that seed so that the committee who ends up ranking the teams has that in their mind. And I think both of those conferences are going to perpetuate that narrative and I don't think they're wrong by the way. When you say the word narrative it 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 immediately people assume that it's it's a negative. It's not a negative because it's going to be true and accurate. When you look at the schedules that the Big Ten teams are going to play and the SEC teams are going to play, they are vastly more difficult than what the other conferences are going to play in the ACC and in the Big 12. So th- they will end up, I think, lobbying even more so than what they do now for their teams. And then here's the other part. I, I think that we might get to a point where we crown a regular season champion like we used to without a conference championship game, and then the conference championship games actually slide down the rung where you'll play an SEC five versus four in order to separate the two to get that fourth team into the playoff. And the same thing might happen in the Big Ten because of the devaluation of what's going on at the top. We know the top two teams are in. Like, why make them play an extra game? You know, what happens if somebody gets hurt when you could maybe elevate your fourth team or your fifth team in order to to make sure that they're getting one of those last spots in the 12? I never thought about that formatting. So that's fascinating. The other side that's a little more, I don't know if it's morbidly fascinating, depending on what you value, but it's just fascinating for different reasons, is 
you talked about the antitrust risk you run if you try and get aggressive and force other entities' hands with the weight you carry, if you're the SEC or the Big Ten. And there's this part of me that says, man, Joel's right. There's this other part of me that also says, he's right. What if they do it anyway? What if that's yeah. their end game? What if they want to save face, but also force this thing over the cliff to where when it falls, they look and say, oh, well, can't have our national playoff. I guess we'll have to have our own. Big Ten, you guys going to do the same thing? Okay. And like, to be honest, a television product that has an entire season dedicated to crowning the SEC champion or Big Ten champion in a 16-team field is not the worst idea in the world if you're an SEC fan or a Big Ten fan. If you're holistically a college football fan, it kind of sucks because it boxes yeah. a lot of people out. And that's why like, I, I wanted to bring this up with you because you're behind that curtain as well and you get the conversations. You have them in your ear right now. There is so much uncertainty. That's why when mm -hmm. Chip Kelly talked the way he did, I thought it was important, a little bit different vein, but I think it's important to do it now. And if you've got frustrations and you've got some weight, do it now because this is the most wide open. It's the foggiest the future has ever been. And any good idea, Joel, could quickly rise to the top and get grabbed a hold of quicker than normally in this sport where it moves like molasses in December to try and get stuff changed. Yeah, that's the the fight that they're having is that normally college football and, and intercollegiate athletics move like like the Titanic. You know, it 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 takes forever to to turn and yet they're forced into a situation where they need to act a little bit more like an F one car in the next couple of years and 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 be mobile and and be nimble and be able to turn on a dime. That's not its its nature. Uh the two most important people right now in the sport are Tony Petiti and Greg Sankey. Uh, because they they wield the most power. Uh, the commissioner of the Big Ten, commissioner of the SEC. It's not the executive director of the CFP, Bill Han Hancock, or or their new executive um, um, director. It's not uh, Charlie Baker, who's the head of the NCAA. The NCAA is hanging on by a thread, yeah. an absolute thread. We haven't even said those way, words. Is, we is, haven't even said those letters the entire conversation. That's how little I think they will matter in the grand scheme of things moving forward. That's right. That's, a, that's exactly right. So... Those two guys, Tony Petiti and Greg Sankey, have, have a, a lot to figure out. And think about it from this perspective. <clears throat> their occupation, their contract, and their entire professional objective is to look out for the entities that they represent. That's who hired them, the presidents of those institutions in the SEC and in the Big Ten. And yet, they both know, and I've talked to both of them about this at length, that the decisions that they make are going to shape the sport overall. And, and that is a wild place to be mm -hmm. for both of these guys. Um, their job is not to protect college football, and yet their job is to protect college football. How do they do it? Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. And that's why, you know what you said about like anything is, is available? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Expansion uh, from 12 is, is available, I think. Now, whether it, it is an official expansion remains to be seen because, like I said, I think that we could get a play-in structure into the 12 via what I would consider lower-rung games in each conference as championship games, and we could call them play-in games. So rather than a Big Ten championship game, you would have the Big Ten play-in game and the Big 12 play-in game and the ACC play-in game, and it just would be different of where that falls in terms of their standings. With the Big the Big Ten and SEC, it might be four and five. And then with the ACC and the Pac-12, uh, Big 12, excuse me, um, it might be two and three or one and two. So um, th those are all things that that remain to be seen. I, I, will, t I will tell you this. Our, our sport, if you really want to grow it, has a chance to grow. I think that we should think about things like bringing the NFL into the room. Josh, I think that we should bring them into the room and give them a cut of the revenue of the playoff. Now, why? Why, why would you do that? Well, because they hold the power of television windows sure. throughout this entire piece of property that we call the calendar. So if you bring them in, what they're going to do is be more incentivized to give you windows that would be beneficial for your sport and for them. So let me just, how about this? Just like wild idea. 
What if the national championship game always landed on, I don't know, Josh, wild card weekend of the NFL playoffs? And 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 what if the national championship game was always on Saturday night, not Monday night, because Monday night is the dumbest thing I've ever think, seen in my life. But it's a Saturday night, and it's the third game of a football triple header that had two NFL playoff games ahead of it, and the network that did the middle NFL playoff game also did the national championship game. And now, rather than trying to create your own audience on a Monday night in the middle of January, you can take an NFL wildcard playoff audience of 30-plus million people and jam them straight into your national championship game. Like, why can't we do that? I think everything should be on the table in, in, in order for the betterment of the game and the growth of the game, including... Maybe going to the NFL and, and forming a bit of a partnership. These are beautiful ideas now. That right there is a beautiful idea. That double lead-in on a Saturday. How wild a concept, by the way. Imagine people like us allowed to watch college football titles decided on a Saturday. What kind of world right. is that? Right. And, and, and you wouldn't be – because th- think about this. The College Football National Championship is the only football property in our country, the only one that is um, decreasing in viewership. Sure. Everything else is increasing, including, and it's not a college football program. We just had the most watched and consumed college football regular season in history. We just, I just had, I just did a game with 19 million people watching Michigan and Ohio State. You can't tell me that viewership is decreasing. So, why in the world is a national championship game last year getting 17 million viewers? Well, one, TCU Georgia was not a good matchup, but also you're trying to just create an entity on a Monday night. It doesn't work. It's not the final four, you know, and, and from that perspective, I think college football needs to really think about going back to their roots, uh, potentially moving their playoff closer to the regular season, getting a a better calendar. Maybe we end the season on the first, maybe it's NFL wildcard weekend, but all of these ideas should, should certainly be on the table. Okay, look, this is not over. I just need, I want us to bookmark where we just left off. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800 327-5050 327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. So we fixed about half the sport today. We got another half mm-hmm. to go, but time is of the I, essence. It is, but but do you want to just quickly go over calendar? We can do it again some other time, but man, the calendar is I, how How disaster. long do you have? How long do you have right now? I, I, I got enough time for the calendar. Okay, I am a believer. Let me just throw this at you because really the crux of the calendar debate right now is we are overlapping the most important period of our season, which is conference championships. Then there's this weird ditch, and then we go mm-hmm. past Christmas, and then we have playoffs, and we do what is the equivalent of our version of free agency and our version of the draft, if you want to combine it with pro sports, right here in the middle of it. It makes no sense. Everyone hates it. So the early signing day, I keep going back and forth on it. There's one school of thought when I go to these symposiums where a lot of the recruiting and player personnel types say, do away with it. Just have February like we used to. And then there's another group that says, but we need the early signing day, but but let's move it to July. So if you think there's a slam dunk kid out there and you want to offer him, go for it. But you're going to have to do it before his senior year. You're going to have to guarantee a scholarship, even if he gets hurt. And if you put an offer in front of that kid, it has to be committable. So you can't just 
carpet bomb the entire country with offers, and then kids try and commit and say, no, 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 we can't take you right now. And the thinking is, hardly anyone would commit on the early signing day. The ones who did would be few and far between and good for them and their futures guaranteed in writing at that point. But it would really backdate a lot of the commitments and signings to February where they used to be. And it would not open. That window would not even open until after championships are played, at which point you could also do your transfer portal. And like, it sounds so simple. And people just, it's like you shout it into the ether and the words disappear and nothing changes. I don't know, man. What, like, what are your thoughts on this? I, oh, I, first of all, I love this. Con- I love this conversation. I think these conversations, I think <clears throat> to be honest with you, like Josh, this is why I, I really wanted to to come on because you obviously have, have a, a tremendous following and, and listening and uh, listener base. And in a lot of ways, it might be a little bit different than my listener base, you know, but uh, and it, there's also a, a great amount of overlap. These conversations are really important, and because the future of the sport is is at stake, and the calendar is, I think, one of the biggest issues. And you laid it out perfectly at the start there, which is, let's just say this, and I said this on my show: Can you imagine the NFL concluding their seventeenth game, taking a month off, having the draft and free agency at the same time? <laughs> And let's negotiate a new CBA. It's like, of of course not. Of course not. That would never happen. So why do we allow that to happen here in college football? And rather than talk about the factors that that go into this, it, it is about trying to find solutions in a lot of ways. Number one, we need to separate. There needs to be a governing structure so that we can look at all of these issues in totality and not just put Band-Aids over holes in the ship hole. You know, in a lot of ways, we're doing that. We're running over and, and and fixing leaks in the bottom of the boat, all over the boat. And what we really need is just a new boat. Let's get a new boat. You yes. It, let's get let's get a new boat. So, uh, early signing. Okay, um, let's talk about it from the high school perspective. I'm of the belief. Now, granted, I was a walk on, so I don't have a ton, a ton of experience from a recruiting standpoint. But I'm of the belief that a player should be able to sign his letter of intent at any point, not during his season, not during his football season as a junior, or during his football season as a senior, or even a sophomore. But but what you said about the carpet bomb um, uh, offers is, is accurate, is accurate, because it would start to really limit these coaches and being like, okay, if we make this offer, he can sign yes. now, okay, and and it it would it would pause what what has now become I think a problem in terms of how early kids are recruited and how long they're recruited and this entire recruiting process. It's not just about the commitment process; it's the recruiting process. So I think a player should be able to sign his letter of intent at any moment, not during his season. Once he signs, tampering rules apply. You can't go steal him. See, this is part of the problem. Verbal commitments are garbage at this point. Now, you can say that that's a societal problem or an individual problem. Fine. But it's also an organizational and a program problem because they don't mean anything to the coaches either. And and by the way, nor should they. So you commit to Oregon, you know, Dion's still going after you at Colorado. You commit to Georgia. Nick Saban is still going after you, and the same in the Big Ten. It it happens everywhere. So these kids, their commitment doesn't mean anything for them, nor the attention that they continue to receive. So you should be able to sign your letter of intent at any moment up to February, and at, at that point, tampering rules apply. Now, I would also have what I would consider to be a dead period of of um, uh, of letter intent of intent high school recruiting that would extend past the high school football season and up until basically the the first week of February, so that this this period from about the middle of January, once we would get to the second round of the playoffs, or maybe even past that, if you get to the middle of January or just past that, now you have a free agency window or a transfer portal window that opens up before the spring semester in all of these universities. 
What we need to do is make sure that these kids can make decisions not at the same time. High school kids are not forced to make decisions based on incomplete rosters, based on where transfers may or may not go. So separating these two time zones out and these periods out so that like the NFL, you have the draft, you have free agency, and they're separate so that you can build rosters. I think that's an important piece of this. Dude, I'm glad we did this, man. I, I got immense respect for you. Uh, you do great work. Joel Klatt Show, find it on YouTube. Phenomenal stuff. It's, it's weekly. It's just like we do it here. It's, um, it's a pleasure to talk to you. I did not Same. even mention, I didn't even ask you about bias one time. We didn't even delve into Florida State. We didn't even get into the whole battle that's been going on there. So um, anytime you want to come over here, you're welcome. I appreciate you joining us, my friend. Same. This uh, uh, As we get more into the offseason and, and maybe past the draft, I, I want to make sure that we reciprocate. We do a little bit of a home and home, and we can talk about some of those issues uh, over on, on my show. I appreciate your time. I'm really thankful for what you do for the sport because the more people that are interested in the sport, the better. Again, we can just continue to move this thing forward, and uh, you do a great job. So I appreciate it, man. And We didn't even get into anything that we could like disagree about. It's I remember shame. like... A year ago, we could have disagreed about the expansion of the playoffs, but that's so far down the road. Now we just have to talk about the structure. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, it is a shame. In retrospect, I regret that. So I'll probably AI some disagreement in on the back end, and we'll just okay. we'll fix it nice. in post, and we'll be good. The best hat in the business, the best in the business. Joel Clatt, we appreciate it, man. I appreciate your time, bud. See ya. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.